Hey, y'all, and welcome to the Keeping It Center podcast. I'm your host, Jaquetta Gilbert. This is a space for women who want help keeping God at the center of their marriage, their role as a mom, and while using their gifts to make a difference in the lives of others. This is for real women with real issues serving a real God who holds us in the palm of his hand. So if you're ready to take off the facade, woman up to your imperfections, and invite our Father in every part of your beautiful mess, girlfriend, you're in the right place. All right, guys, this week we are so fortunate. We have a wonderful guest. His name is Pastor Malcolm. And I'd love for you just to uh, tell us who you are, Pastor. Let us know what you do. Well, you know, there's nothing unique about me except uh, there's only one me. Uh, so I'm the pastor of Outreach and Next Steps at Sand Hills Community Church. Um, it's great to be here um, with you all. I'm also uh, an adjunct professor at the seminary at Columbia International University. And um, so that's, that's a little bit about me and I had no what idea. Yeah, yeah. You've been holding out, Pastor. Uh, hey, hey, you know, I just let the Lord lift me up. I don't exalt myself, you know what I mean? Amen, amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked you on the podcast uh, for this week because I really think it is important, especially in light of everything going on in our country today. Um, I think it's time to talk a bit about Uh, ethnicity, race, ethnic cultures, and the church. Um, And from our previous conversations, I just felt like you were the best person to bring on for this topic. Um, So I'm excited to dive in. Um, Just to get us started, you know, especially as a person of color, I know a lot of different movements we have to promote certain ethnicities. And um, I don't believe there's uh, necessarily anything wrong with uh, being excited about who you are, where you come from, Um, but I'd like for you to help us have a little bit more insights about um, what it means to show pride in your culture as a minority while being a follower of Christ. What does that look like? What should it look like? I think you said it um, appropriately. I think that there isn't anything wrong with uh, someone who is a a minority, and we could kind of unpack that word um, a little bit, but someone that society deems as a minority um, celebrating their ethnicity or culture. Uh, you look at um, even in Revelation where it talks about chapter 7, verse 9, that it's heaven is comprised of every nation, tribe, and tongue. So God enjoys the uniqueness of our differences and, not, and the different shades and colors that he created us to be in. So there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I think until you begin to lift that up higher than Christ himself, uh, I think uh, people should take pride in who they are and the way God has called them and enjoy that uniqueness about themselves and about others that kind of share in that same culture. Uh, But at the same time, we have to be careful um, not to take that higher or elevate that over uh, the Christian culture. Okay. Um, I like that, and there's so much we can say about that. Um, what, what do you say then to 
people who feel as if, you know, these groups that are predominantly celebrating one ethnicity, um, you know, they're showing partiality, they're not uh, recognizing other great uh, cultures, that they are, in a sense, um, just saying that we are better <laughs> than everybody else. What do you say to those people? I think when, so, so when somebody thinks, you know, that they're better, um, there's a narrative behind that, right? And so that, that's a learned behavior. Nobody's born thinking that they're better than somebody else. It's kind of it's taught. And so I think if you look at um, any type of movement today, you look at, you know, Black Lives Matter or something like that, that um, it's natural for people to instinctively want to help those who they identify with. And so you have this homogeneous culture that comes together as this movement. And so, again, in and of itself, I get it. Uh, but what I would tell people is that, you know, every culture has a narrative um, and there's a beginning. And so when you look at people who are um, Latino, um, they've had a struggle. And so when they come together, they celebrate that they have overcome that struggle. When you see African-Americans come together, that there come, there's a struggle. And so if I don't know the struggle, then I don't really get why that movement exists. Um, but because we've overcome the struggle, um, at least to the point when we can have a conversation about it, um, I think people then think, oh, you think you're better than me. No, there's a story behind all of this I'm talking about, especially when the story involves a lot of hurt, pain, oppression, bondage, slavery. And so now we look at things that used to denigrate us, uh, like uh, the lynching tree, and that's something now that I think as black folks, we can take that power away and say, no, that's a symbol of strength. Look at what we overcame. Um, and now, today, we can look at other things that we're trying to overcome in terms of uh, police brutality and systemic oppression. Some people look at that and like, oh, well, all lives matter. All lives do matter, but all lives don't share the same narrative and background. So the movements will be different. I like that. I, I like that a lot. Um, it sounds like we just need a bit more openness um, to being understanding of others, um, whether we can readily identify with their struggle or not, at least at a minimum to see that, hey, just because this person is promoting Black Lives Matter, for example, doesn't mean that they don't care about me, um, just to have that basic human understanding. Yeah, I think because a movement like that is birthed out of Again, it's birthed out of a struggle, but it's also birthed out of a love for other people, right? And so I think when you look at anything in terms of white supremacy and, let's say, a Klan rally or something like that, um, it can be a little different because now you're talking about something that's birthed out of hate. Um, but I will say this. It's still a narrative, right? And so I think as people who are in the minority, you look at that, and we're quick to demonize people who've been taught something by their grandparents, their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, so forth and so on. So you got to look at those people and still have a level of compassion and understand, okay, I get it. I don't agree with it, but I get it. And I think same thing with somebody who's white looks at Black Lives Matter. Um, if you can say, hey, I may not agree with it, but I get it. There's a level of understanding. And truth is, that's what we want, just some understanding when we come to the table and talk. But if you don't want me at the table, we can have a conversation. Then what you're saying is, not only do I not appreciate the movement, 
I don't even appreciate the culture that's and the story that's behind it. No. I like that. I like that. So what then are some myths or some stereotypes, beliefs, anything like that, that you feel makes it difficult for some of our Christian minorities to trust those that are of the majority? I think, unfortunately, some of the myths and stereotypes, I mean, there's some truth to it. And so um, it's hard for Christian minorities to really come into spaces that are predominantly white, or it may be hard for somebody who's white to come into a predominantly black space um, because in that we lose control. We don't have control anymore, right? And so some of the myths are, I think, if for somebody black or African-American walking into a white setting, um, they're not going to get me. Nobody's going to understand me. Nobody's going to appreciate me. Um, they're going to try to make me conform to their culture or the word we use is assimilate to their culture, which now I have to lose my own identity and kind of, quote, unquote, become white. And now I'm an Uncle Tom and people look at me who are African-American as a sellout. And, and the truth is you may find yourself in an all-white space and there are some people that get it. We assume that white people don't get it at all, but let's keep in mind when it came to the, the Freedom Riders, you know, a lot of those people were white. So you had white people that were part of the struggle to help us as African Americans get civil rights. So they got it, and they were beat up pretty bad for it. Some even killed for it. So what we can't do is say, oh, if I go into all white space, nobody's going to get it. Somebody probably will get it. Or if I'm a white person, I go into an all-black space, oh, they're going to mistreat me because they've been oppressed. Now they're going to oppress me. And that may not necessarily be the case. So a lot of fear kind of comes into play. Um, but even if you look at even gender, you know, if a woman goes to a, a space with all men, she may assume I'm going to be objectified and looked at a certain way. Well, there may be some men in that setting that totally get it and will respect her empower her, elevate her, allow her to use her gifts. And so um, I think the other thing is that one, another big myth is that African-Americans don't have a sound theology. And so that we come into white settings and white folks want to know, is your theology, is it right? The assumption is that they think that their theology is right. So, so that I've dealt with that. And as an elitist mindset, and the thing is this, um, we have to be guardians of truth and hold on to the key essentials of the faith, but we have to determine what those essentials are. And, you know, you have white folks that look at traditional black preaching and the hoop and think that's buffoonery, not knowing that the hoop, you know, part of the reason it exists was to help those that didn't know how to read kind of learn the Bible through repetition, through rhythm. Um, but it's an art form now. It's artistry. It's what I call pulpiteering. And just because you may not do it at the white church doesn't mean it's wrong when it's done in the black church. And so just like for black folks, we go into a white church and the white preacher may be um, very monotone. Doesn't mean the content isn't good. Um, it's just a different style. So again, different trainings, different styles. We take it, we pervert it. We come up with these stereotypes and we assume that, oh, because this brother hasn't gone to seminary, he doesn't know. When the truth is, he may be self-learned. And he knows more than the person who's gone to seminary and has all these degrees. So, again, 
we got to be careful with those myths. But some of those things, that, that's one of the reasons why it's hard for minorities specifically to go into majority culture spaces. Because when you're looked at as if you're inferior, why, you wanna go, why would you want to be a part of something like that, right? So um, I guess that would be my one challenge to my white brothers and sisters. Um, don't take on that elitist attitude and assume that your theology and what you believe is totally sound. And I know what they'll say, well, you know, in, in the black church, they talk about destiny, you know, prosperity, reach your goal, reach your dreams. But here's the thing, you're talking about people who've always had their dreams destroyed. Hope has been deferred, dreams have been deferred because of oppression. Now we're at a point now where I wanna elevate black folks so they can realize, look, you can reach your destiny. You can reach your dream, so I'm trying to empower you. But if you've come from a fluent background and that's never been your story, you don't get it. So that's, yeah, I could go on and on, but I mean, it, I think it's understanding the story and narrative of people and, and just getting rid of some of those myths that are really based on ignorance, I think. Woo, pasta. You got me ready to shout up in here today. Uh-oh, church, <laughs> church, church. So I, I, wanna, I wanna touch on a few things because you said a lot of really good stuff there. One one thing that really stood out to me is that um, I actually wrote something about it not too long ago. It's that you said we sometimes have the tendency to think that others will not understand us. They won't get us. And I had to check myself because when you, well, I'm going to, make it personal when I hear so many stories of um, you know white on black crimes or injustices against our black and brown sisters and brothers um, when you hear when I hear so much of that and not enough of the positive in me it was getting to a point where I was feeling as if I classified a whole group of people the same way our group of people were being classified. And I'm like, whoa, that's that's not what I'm supposed to do. And so I had to check myself and realize, again, everybody is not the same in any ethnicity. Um, you know, there are people that are going to get me and I need to work hard and do my part to be understanding of others as well. Um I like that. I like that. Um, other things that I, I really like from what you said was that um, I, the lack of understanding of the narrative will give us those false assumptions. And I think those will continue to stick if we don't make it a point to communicate with one another. Um, but I do think it can be difficult because maybe everybody doesn't feel safe enough to do that. They don't feel as if they have the space to do that because, and I say that, um, you, you may have some one uh, that wants to ask an African-American questions about, you know, their upbringing where, you know, where they got certain theologies from, but they may feel as if they're going to be attacked for even asking. Um, I've come into people like that. Um, how, how would you say we can remedy that situation where 
you have those individuals that want to reach out, they want to communicate, they want to understand, but they're too afraid and they don't feel like they can. Yeah, I think, so it's, So we get down to the root of it, right? I think too often we attack the fruit of the problem. The root of the problem is really, it's sin. So for example, if somebody is too scared or fearful of asking those questions, fear comes from sin. And the first time we see fear in the Bible as, is after Adam sinned, right? And so God has not given us a spirit of fear. So who gives us a spirit of fear if God hasn't? It's, it's the enemy. And so I think we have to understand that this battle that we're in is a spiritual battle. And what the enemy doesn't want, he doesn't want community and the people of God to come together. So he wants people to stay in fear. Because here's the thing. The fear is if I ask the question, I'm going to get rejected. They're going to think I'm a racist. They're going to think I'm this or I'm that. And the truth is, that may not be the case whatsoever, but as long as that fear is there, it keeps us divided. And of course, if the house is divided, we can't do anything, right? And so the enemy knows that. So his goal is to constantly keep us divided um, through our fear and just not want to even have conversations about it. And so we walk on eggshells around each other, and then we say something, and we get upset, right? So I may make a comment. I don't mean to offend, but the person who receives the comment gets offended and nobody talks about it. And now it's like, see, I knew it. that's how Malcolm is. And evidently that's how all black men are. So there it is. It's like, well, if you just come and talk to me, you realize that my comment wasn't meant to be offensive, but we don't do that. And I think part of that is too, the media always puts a slant on everything. And I, I really be, believe there's bias. And I think there are a lot of great stories about those who are white helping black and brown brothers and sisters and vice versa. The media just doesn't put that out there, right? And I think it's there's this uh, effort by the enemy to keep the division going. And here's the thing. If we can spend a lot of time um, pushing movements, if people are so preoccupied with politics and less preoccupied with prayer, then again, what's driving my attitude, right? It's secular culture. But if I'm more preoccupied with prayer, then let me pray for this person because it's hard for me to hate or stereotype somebody when I'm praying for them, right? The Spirit has now gotten involved in that process. And I think we need to spend more time praying for folks and praying to have those conversations than getting caught up with all the other stuff. And I think if we do that, then we're saying, okay, God, you take control. So, so, like you were saying, the media does show us a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> of bad stuff that goes on, um, not just in our country, but worldwide. Um, so there's that hatred that has come up, the, the, the bigotry, just so much negativity um, that has transpired because of it. And what would you say then is the biblical response that we are to have as believers when we are witnessing these uh, cases of injustice, whether it's through media or even in person, um, how are we to respond in those situations? Because, you know, we're just going to keep it real. The flesh Mm -hmm. can rise. You know, somebody can say something and it just hits you a certain way. Um, And we want to be careful not to be in the flesh. So how are we supposed to respond it it's hard i mean it's hard <laughs> so the the 
the easy response or the quick response is just got to love people. I mean, you love those the most that deserve it the least, right? And so, um, and, and we're called to love our enemies. But again, in this flesh, that can be real difficult, especially when there's, we're talking 400 years, right, of slavery. I mean, we can put somebody on the moon, but we can't stop systemic oppression. Like, it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And so, there's a lot of pain in there. So let me just say to those who are listening, you know, my black and brown brothers and sisters, I get it. The struggle is real when it comes to that. Um, and so what we have to do is truly spend more time in the word, in the presence of God. And I think through his spirit, he gives us the ability to love those who truly are unlovable according to the world standards. Um, and here's the thing. People are going to say weird stuff. Let me say, you're going to be offended. It's going to happen. You just got to suck it up, own it, and get ready for it. Um, but here's the thing. We control our responses to it. And I believe it was Dr. King that said, you know, hate doesn't conquer hate. Love conquers hate. And, and while you're going through it, you may not think love is conquering hate. Um, but the truth is, it is. It's just a slow process for some people. And so I think it's not being afraid to have those conversations, uh, the willingness to stand up and talk about it. And so what I'm not saying is, is a passive love. I think if the way love operates, it is patient, it is kind, but it does, you know, bring stuff into the light and expose things. So I'm not saying if somebody says something, you, you just, oh, I'm not going to say anything to that person I think you approach them, but you approach them in a loving manner. A kind word turns away wrath. And so I think it's, hey, you just said that. Maybe I didn't hear you right. I'm missing something. What did you mean when you said this? Because if you truly love them, your goal is to make them better. And that's, at the end of the day, it's like, I want to make you better, um, a better follower of Christ. And if they're not a Christian, what a great way to kind of share the gospel with them through the response you give them. Because they're hoping that you respond in a negative way because your response affirms the stereotype that they already have about you. So we just got to, we have to be wise. You know, as minorities, we have to be wise. Nobody, let me say this, nobody likes the angry black guy, right? You can be so angry that, and it's so emotional, people can't hear truth. So we got to get to the point where it's like, let me get out of my feelings and let me proclaim truth in a way that's loving. I think people will hear truth and they get caught up when they hear the emotions. Um, and so we can't speak out of a place of hurt and emotions. It doesn't nullify the hurt and pain. I'm not trying to, you know, say it doesn't exist. And, and, and you know, it's just that we have to hold on to the truth of God's word because our feelings can get us in trouble. Um, and, and feelings will get us in trouble. So I think if you speak truth, that means you can have conversations at work without getting fired. Feelings get you fired. Truth won't. So I think you got to speak truth in love. At Keeping It Centered, we love sharing stories of real women who've overcome tough challenges all by God's grace. Do you know someone with a story who could help Christian wives, moms, and difference makers grow in their faith walk? If so, send your suggestion to keepingitcentered at gmail.com. Now back to our show. Oh 
little pasta. Yes, sir. Feelings get you fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, 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 man. Um, I think for me, it's, I just have to be real and, and accept that it is going to be a process. It's because in our society today, we want everything now. It's got to be microwavable. Like we want all the fruit now. We want everything to go our way now. And that's not life. <laughs> it's no. just not. And so I know for myself, I just have to keep it in mind that I'm going to have to continue to work hard about this with everybody. And I like what you said about, you know, love real godly genuine love is what we need um you know bible tells us love covers a multitude of sin and it's easy to read that but man Mm -hmm. when you really think about it in the heat of the moment just got to keep telling yourself you got to keep reminding yourself what god's word says because if not like you said it'll just be a bigger situation than it needs to be and God's glory won't even be in it, right. you know? So if, if we're all about making sure that God is glorified, making sure that we we bond the way we're supposed to with one another and uplift one another, um, we really have to take self out of it, take emotions out of it, and uh, really keep our eyes centered on God, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, I mean, the love, as difficult as it is and as difficult as it sounds, I mean, that's that's truthfully, that is the key. And the idea that you have to love people, and if you're going to love people, expect to be hurt. Loving people means expect to be betrayed, right? And so when you think about Jesus, you know, he loved us, and he he loved Judas, and he knew what Judas was going to do. didn't stop him from loving him, right? And so I think that it's, and what it is, is you think about that, that verse I believe it's 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be the righteousness of God. So what does it look like to love somebody and to forgive them and absorb all their hate? Right? Just take. Let me just take on your hate, and I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm going to discard it, and then we're going to have a conversation. And, and not only am I going to absorb it and take it on, I'm not going to even bring it up in the conversation because that's true forgiveness. Um, that's huge. I haven't even mastered that, you know, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's something where when you acknowledge it, then God's like, okay, I'm going to give you a test every now and again to see where you're at in the process. So, yeah. And I guess one thing I, I that comes to mind is when I personally, <laughs> I got to make these things personal. When I'm personally in a moment where I have got to decide, am I going to respond the way someone expects me to respond or am I going to respond in love? I think I need to also keep in mind, I'm not always the most lovable person. Even if it's a whole different situation, even if, you know, somebody just said something I felt was discriminatory, um, I just have to remember there is always something about me that I need to personally fix. And God loves me anyway. And um, I think I just have to sit and rest on that a bit and just reflect on that. Yeah. So what you have is a high level of self-awareness, right, which a lot of people don't have. you got to have that self-awareness and to not own self be true. And, like, I got my own blind spots. And I think when you realize you have your own blind spots, but yet God still pours out his grace and love on you in spite of you. And how can I not do that for somebody else? 
And I know for me, I've been forgiven of so much. How can I not forgive others and love others? Um, and as much grace as God has given me, I have to give it to other people. So I think it's, it's a recognition that at the end of the day, you know, there's no one righteous. No, not one. We're all messed up. Um, it's just that some people choose to display their brokenness in a way that's very hurtful to other people. So we have to be willing to kind of help them navigate through their process if they're willing to go through that process. So we have to be willing to be uncomfortable if somebody else is willing to be uncomfortable, right? And it has to be unconditional. But if you're not ready yet, I get it. I keep moving, and when you're ready, we can have those conversations. Um, but I can't want it more than you want it, right? Um, you got to want to come to the table as well. And that's what we talk about. Um, this idea that that third space we've talked about at church where you come out of your space and I come out of my space and we come into God's space and leave our cultural stuff behind and just have a God-honoring conversation where we get to know each other. And then there's grace in that process as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Man, so we talked about self-awareness as one way to kind of safeguard against adopting a lot of these unbiblical approaches um, to to uh, not-so-fun experiences that, that we encounter. What are some other ways you think we can intentionally um, make sure that we are responding in a biblical manner when those not-so-fun situations arise in our life, in our relationships with others that don't look like us? Yeah, I think... You go to Ephesians 6, and we talk, and it talks about the, the spiritual armor. Um, and so one of the ways, you got, you got to read the Bible. I mean, it's, it sounds, you know, simple, but there's some people that don't do it. And I think there's a, you know, you might want to, you read like a few verses here and there, that, that's not going to cut it. You got to get in the Word of God. You got to spend time with God. You have to abide with Christ in that process. Um and the more you abide in that and, and, and with him, the truth is we can't, we can't deal with this issue of ethnic discrimination and stuff like that on our own. We need Christ to really do it for us, right? And so I think reading the word of God and recognizing that when God gave the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, you know, this idea said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, not a great race, right? And so even the term, you know, we say racism, all that's rooted in a social construct back in the day that has nothing to do with the Bible. There's one race. And so we got to start reading the Bible and letting God navigate the conversation. And we don't do that. We don't let truth navigate it. And then I think also for minorities, we have to be secure in who we are, right? That no matter what somebody says about me or what name they call me, I know I'm a child of the king. I know that God loves me. And my value and dignity doesn't come from other people. Now, as white folks who may not see that value and dignity, it's not their job to give it, it's their job to affirm it, right? And so I think you safeguard it by standing the word, you safeguard it by praying. I think, and here's what's, now this is going to sound a little weird, I think we, there's a thing, is racial fatigue. So I think you also safeguard these unbiblical approaches by, you know, just retreating back every now and again and resting. And if you've been spending time in what I call white world a lot, you may need to go back with some of your, your the brothers and sisters, you know, and kind of just kind of feel that love and, and, and just get back into that, that comfort zone again. Just to, you can get rejuvenated to get back in the fight. Um, and, and it works vice versa if you're white in an all-black space. 
I think you just need that because, again, you don't want to lose your identity in the whole process, you know. And so I think also so you, you get in the Word, you read, you're reading the Bible, you're praying. And I think also Sabbath, taking those moments to rest and reflect. Because here's the thing, you're going to mess up. You're going to say stuff you wish you, you didn't say, um, and you can't pull that stuff back once it goes out. So I think you need those moments to reflect. Um, what could I have done better? Um, but again, it's the Spirit of God moving because there's going to be a lot of, you got to ask for forgiveness, you got to receive forgiveness, you got to confess, repent. And um, so I think that's it. But there are a lot of, if you want to stop the unbiblical approaches, it first starts with the truth of God's Word. And that's the, the spiritual armor. I mean, the first thing is, is truth. So, yeah. So what then would you say is the church's role in all of this? Um, we are fortunate at Sand Hills where we have a an, an intentionally diverse congregation, but a lot of our churches are not like that for one reason or another. What is the church's role and how can the church um, create more of those diverse congregations um, to, I guess, to sort of, I don't know, it's, it's, I've heard from people where they say, you know, I feel weird being the only person, you know, the only white person going in this black space where you hear from the black person, oh, I feel like the only black person here. And then it's just weird. And how do you feel the church should respond um, in bridging that racial divide? I think first have an understanding that if you feel weird going to a space that's ethnically different than you, imagine how Christ felt dwelling with us. Here is divinity, you know, someone who is infinite, hanging out with folks who are finite and flawed. And he desired to be uncomfortable. There was a willingness to be uncomfortable. I think, again, we have to get beyond ourselves. The gospel is uncomfortable. Are we willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? And, and as a church, as a local church, if your community and neighborhood is diverse, you should reflect that diversity. Um, and if you don't, then you have to really ask yourself, okay, are we a kingdom-minded church? Because you can be a church that's multi-ethnic, but still monocultural. And I think you have a lot of churches that may be multi-ethnic in those that attend, but worship is monocultural. The way the disciples monocultural, everything's monocultural. And so we have to be, as you said, intentional towards it. There may be some people that are like, you know, hey, I'm open to it. You can be open to a lot of stuff. Are you intentional towards doing it? You know, it's like, I'm open to building a house. I don't have that gift. So I'm not going to be intentional towards doing it, right? <laughs> so there are certain people, you have to be open to it and intentional towards. And I think it's a slow process. You know, don't try to be, so if you're an all-white church, don't try to be, you know, this multi-ethnic congregation overnight because you're going to mess something up. You got to start prayer, bathe it in prayer. And you go to Ephesians, I mean, the book of Ephesians, I believe, is the blueprint for multi-ethnic church ministry. And here's the thing. You're saying, hey, well, we're in a place where our whole neighborhood or our community is all black or it's all Latino, Filipino, it's all white. We can't be diverse. I get that. You can't be diverse ethnically. But in terms of age, in terms of culture, you know, um, do young people 
are they willing to come to your church because they feel welcomed in that church because it's not the quote-unquote traditional church. There's a blend of what's going on. Or when they come in, is it, you know, take your hat off, you know, take off your cap, pull up your pants, because what you're saying is I don't appreciate your culture. So they're not going to come in, which means your church isn't really as diverse as you think it is, right? It's There's one culture. And so, um, but if you do have the opportunity to be diverse ethnically, then you have to be intentional towards doing it, which means as pastors, as leaders, you got to go out and talk to folks that don't look like you. Um, we're in the people business, which means you got to go to the black part of the community and hang out. And I'm going to tell you what, it'll be an awesome experience. If you're black, you got to go to the white part and hang out. And it's going to be an awesome experience. Latino, same thing. And so, um, but again, it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And then as you're uncomfortable, God will change something in you. And I'm telling you, people will look at you and say, you know, why are you coming here? But I think then you find that common ground. Jesus did it with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He goes to a place where naturally most Jews would be uncomfortable. But yet, he remained Jewish. He didn't change his Jewishness, it didn't, but it didn't dictate the conversation. He didn't allow his culture to dictate the conversation. He's, he really loved this woman and spoke to her differently than most men would have. And then they started talking about faith. He found common ground, didn't disrespect her. Even though she tried to bring it up, he wasn't having it. And so I think we just have to be willing to be uncomfortable and go into those spaces. And you know what? Who cares what people say? You t it's going to hurt. You're going to get upset. But it's for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I would say, and, and when you're doing it, don't forget who you are. You know, God made you beautiful the way you are. So if you're a minority, you don't have to turn white. And if you're white, you don't have to turn black. And what I hate when people say, I got to talk black. I don't know what that means, talking black. Um, it, it just it, I get what they're trying to say. Um, but you don't have to come out and try to be something that you're not. Nobody wants people that are phony and fake. Just be you. And I think we see Jesus go into Samaria. And he was just him. And the woman appreciated it. And we got to do the same thing. I like that. Um, you definitely see a lot of that where um, it's easy to think, man, you know, I do want to build these relationships with my brothers and sisters that don't look like me, so that means I got to act like them. No, you can be you. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you can be you. It's okay. Um, I, I like that. That's a, um, that's a comforting thing, and I think it, it goes along with the theme of what we've been talking about is we really do need to take us out of it. Just keep God at the center of it. You can be yourself. Um, you can be loving as Christ would have us to be, but have him as the focus. He's the glue. He's, he's what's going to keep us all right. together. Right. Um, man, I've definitely had a lot of fun chatting with you today. Um, I know you have several books in your office, so can you share with us some resources that you have um, for anyone, whether minority, non-minority, um, any Christian who realizes after this this talk, man, you know, I've, I've got some things to work on in my own heart, in my own walk with Christ. Um, what are some resources that you've come across that would be beneficial for us? I think, yeah, so great book, um, Bloodlines by John Piper. That's a great book to read. Um, any book by John Perkins. Uh, one of my favorites is One Blood uh, by John Perkins, Dr. John Perkins, or um, Dream With Me uh, by Dr. John Perkins. Uh, this book here, 
uh, that I brought with me, The Gospel in Black and White, Theological Resources on Re for Racial Reconciliation. It's different books, uh, different essays by different people. Um, right, I think it's the book called Right, Color, Wrong Culture. Um, I believe it's by uh, Crawford Loritz, maybe his son. Um, so a lot of resources out there. Those are just a few. Um, and then there are different books uh, by a guy named Dr. Manny Ortiz, if you're in urban ministry and want to understand the social sciences and people movements, how to deal with people from different cultures, you have that. And so, and I would say you got to get books and read books, not just from one ethnic group. There are many other books, you know, Francis Chan, when it comes to grace um, and books by both men and women um, that can really help us. Dr. Brenda uh, Salter McNeil um, is another author who has a lot of books out there on racial reconciliation. Um, and again, I think I would hope that at some point we would get away from the term race and racial reconciliation. It sounds sexy, but race is not the issue unless you got like different species of things walking around in your church, right? Um, it's really about ethnicity. So we're talking about having ethnic reconciliation in the church. So that's a good start for most folks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I always end my podcast by asking all my guests the same question. So I'll ask you the same. Um, how do you keep God at the center of your life? You're a pastor. You're a husband. You're a father. You're an adjunct. Like, you got a lot going on. So how do you keep God at the center of it all? Yeah. Um, again, it's, it's, I think, through prayer. I think uh, it's through studying the scriptures. But also with community. I mean, you got to have folks that'll put you in check, um, that'll correct you when you kind of start walking out of line. Um, but then also being fully present in the moment, taking time to reflect, trying not to get caught up in tomorrow. I can't worry about what happened yesterday. Um, it's like, God, here I am, present with you, and recognize it's all by grace. And so for me, it's being reminded I'm here by grace. God's grace is sufficient. And as I read the word, I'm reading it through a lens of grace and how I have a loving father that, that as powerful as he is, as holy as he is, he still takes time out to hang out with one of his kids. He's got a lot going on. And I think my wife, uh, shout out to Tiffany, um, and my kids, they definitely help keep me uh, centered because nobody knows me like they know me. And, and they will check me if they see me get out of line. So that's how I do it. Awesome. 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 Well, again, I appreciate you um, for taking the time to do this, Pastor. I know you got a lot of other stuff to do. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. It was very awesome. To thank talk you. To you. Thank you. Thank you. The pleasure's all mine. Totally honored to do it. Thanks. All right. We had such a great time talking with Pastor Malcolm today. I know this was. Um, a tough topic for a lot of us, but a much needed conversation. I pray that we're able to continue it as uh, time goes on. So let's close out in prayer. God, we thank you for diversity. We know that you have made all of us beautiful in our own ways. And we know that everything you've made is good, Lord God. So I ask that you would help us to be respectful of one another. Help us to remember that we are all your creations. And when we have disagreements with one another, God, I pray that we're able to choose our words carefully and 
to disagree in love. Help us to always remember your vision of unity above what our flesh desires. Help us to see the areas in our hearts where we need to change, the beliefs that we need to change, the actions that we need to change towards one another, Lord God. And I pray that you will start that change within us, Lord. Help us to realize that everything's a process, but with your help, Lord God, that we can truly love one another unconditionally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've been driving along, you can find today's show notes over at www.keepingitcentered.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for The Centered Notes, our bi-weekly devotional newsletter. And follow us over at Instagram at Keeping It Centered.